Hello and a very warm welcome back to the Nightlight Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Glynn, and with me once again is Stephen Strutt, author of the Insights series of books that includes Enoch Insights, Second Estrus Insights, Jubilee's Insights, Eden's Insights. And today, Stephen's going to be sharing some insights into the amazing book of Jasher. Nightlight Insights. Stephen, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for inviting me again. It's a real pleasure. Stephen, why the book of Jasher? Why do you feel it's important for people to read the book of Jasher? Well, now that's a very, very good question. The book of Jasher to me is a miraculous book. Not only is it an ancient Jewish book, but I've never quite read a book of this caliber, which really gets you excited about what you're reading. There's few books I've read like this and it seems to me there were a lot of very diligent people over a period of 2,500 years making that book possible. It didn't, it wasn't one person writing it. I see. It was put together. That's why, apart from the book of Jasher, it's called the book of the upright in the Septuagint, written about 300 years before Christ. This book was compiled of a very long period of time in a moment, I'll read you something I mentioned earlier. I'll mention about why I think it's the authenticity of it is correct. It is authentic. It uh, is a genuine book. I'll read about that in a minute. But personally, the the book to me is just unusual in the way it's written altogether. You you feel like you're really you're reading a real story. It brings everything to life. A lot of it is miraculous. And I feel that this book is also, just like I did with the Book of Enoch, here's another book that actually has been in the Jewish canon, I believe it still is, and yet it's also been sidelined. And the question is, why would you sideline such amazing books? In fact, I, I have the plan in the future, I'd like to make some, some of the stories in it, even into stories for children. Wow. Because they're just so alive so descriptive they are uh, there's a there's a story in i believe it's chapter 80 where it's talking about moses and the children of israel escaping from pharaoh and all the judgments of god and the ten plagues but it tells it in a way that's far more descriptive than even the bible itself i mean i've always loved this story of the exodus in the bible but in the book of Jasher, it's like 10 times more exciting. It's true. Because they put details yes. in there. Details that others would say, oh, that's impossible. That couldn't have happened. But when I first read it, I did feel that some things were, let's say, different, unexpected. But the more I was flexible with it and the more I prayed about it, the more I realized, who am I to question God? If God wants to do miracles like parting the Red Sea, if he wants to do miracles like making... Balaam's ass talk to the prophet Balaam when he wouldn't listen. If God can do things like that and countless other miracles he did in the Bible, what's to say he can't have done even greater miracles? That's right. And you see, this is what the book of Jasher brings out. It brings out incredible stuff. I feel all right when I'm listening to Nightlight. Nightlight. You're tuned in to Nightlight. The other day I was reading the first three chapters to my wife from book two and she found it absolutely exciting exhilarating because she said wow this book's different and that's what a word i would use it's different and exciting and authentic in answer to your question you asked me a good question the other day you said 
what is the evidence of the book of Joshua being an authentic book? Yes. All right, so I'm going to give you a little background here. This background, ladies and gentlemen, you can find this in the appendix of Joshua Insights, my books, Joshua Insights, book one and two. It has the appendix in both of them. And this is what it says in appendix four. Certainly, many serious scholars have concluded that this book of Joshua is authentic. The well-known Hebraist and rabbinic scholar and translator of the 1940 book of Joshua, Moses Samuel, wrote of Joshua. The book is, with exception of some doubtful parts, there are a few of those. I mention them myself. One of them, I would say, is it says that Moses was in prison for 10 years, or in prison by the father of uh, Zipporah. I think very doubtful. There wasn't enough time for that. But um, that was written later on. That's, but there's only a, a couple of parts like that, I'd say. A couple of parts which is doubtful, like he says. Right. The book is, with the exception of some doubtful parts, a venerable monument of antiquity. And that, notwithstanding, some new additions have been made to it in comparatively modern times. It still retains sufficient to prove it a copy of the book referred to in Joshua chapter 10 in the Bible and 2 Samuel chapter 1. And that is by Moses Samuel, Hebraist, a rabbinical scholar. And my old friend and mentor, the late Dr. Cyrus Gordon, who was the world's leading Semitist until his death, said, There can be little doubt that the book of Joshua was a national epic. Now this is where it follows with what I was saying before, very exciting and, and you know you can understand what he's saying here. There's little doubt that the book of Joshua was a national epic. The time is, look at this, this is what, exactly what we're doing now with his book. The time is ripe for a fresh investigation of such genuine sources of scripture, particularly against the background of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now why is that important? Because as you know, and to me it's miraculous, and I, I, I walk in the fear of God in knowing that you are also working on the Apocrypha books, and it's just it's so exciting. Right. Why is that very exciting? Because the truth is, those books, in my opinion, were illegally taken out of the King James Bible. There's a dispute whether it's 18, 20, 40, or 85, but in that century, 14 of the Apocrypha books were taken out of the Bible, and it never should have happened. And how do we know that? Because... The reason they took them out was their excuse was those Apocrypha books were not in the original Hebrew. They were in Greek or some other language, so they took them out. And yet, many years later, 50, 60 years later, came along the Dead Sea Scrolls, and lo and behold, what do they find? These same books in the Jewish language. So they took those Apocrypha books out. They should never have done that. And we mentioned last time, there was a famous British theologian who said in 1954 the bible without the apocrypha books is like unto you buying a novel in a shop and finding to your horror later that a couple hundred pages are missing out of the book that's right who's going to buy a book like that not that jash is one of the apocrypha books it's not but it's like unto the apocrypha books there's quite a few of them. You know, there's 14 that were in the Bible. They're all very, I've read all of them. They're all very exciting books as well. I recommend everybody to read those too. Right. But the ones I particularly like the most, if there are four I choose, they're the ones I've been working on for that reason. The book of Enoch, Jasher, Second Esdras, and finally Jubilees. When I was praying about it, the Lord told me, I want you to write these four books, first of all, because they are a foundation of ancient texts which will give people faith. That's right. Because somebody has tried to hide these books, 
take them away from people and leave them with a shell of what they could have. That's what the Lord told me, and that's why I've worked on those books. And I, I never get tired of them. I, I just get excited by them. I get enthusiastic in reading them, and I read them to others, and everybody else tells me they like them. And now on my website, I now have a lot of comments from people. And what I expect from people is I want them to react. I don't even care if people do, uh, agree with what I say or not. That's not the point. The point is I say things to deliberately challenge people to say, is this right? Is this wrong? I'm not saying I know all the answers. One woman contacted me and she said, you say something really radical in the beginning of your book. And I won't tell you what that was. I'll let you find out for yourself. And I was expecting somebody to say exactly what they said, you know. And I said, well, you don't have to believe everything I say in my book. They're often comments, opinions, conjecture. But actually, they are uh, they're the sum total of studying the same topic many times over look at many reference books and other, and that's the conclusions I come to. But you can take those conclusions what way you want. Good. You know, the main point is the book itself, incredible, and I am just trying to promote this book of Jasher, as I think it's one of the best books I've ever read. One of the most exciting books, and it's so full of adventure. I mean, so many adventures in the book. Shining bright through the dark night, you're listening to Nightlight. And yes, you're with the latest edition of Nightlight. Please do take time to like the show and subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already. Stephen, I must say that I knew nothing at all about the books of Jasher, Enoch, Jubilees, Second Esdras until you got me interested in them. And I've now also recorded them as audiobooks, which viewers you can listen to on this channel along with a read-along text. I also recorded the 14 books of the Apocrypha, which you'll also find on this channel. Now, I must say, Stephen, out of all those books, I found the narrative of the book of Jasher the easiest to read. The stories are so simply and colorfully told. It starts with Adam and Eve, goes all the way through to the stories of Joshua, and it follows the Bible stories very closely, but adds a lot more fascinating detail. Stephen, maybe you'd like to talk more about your commentary on the book of Jasher, your book, Jasher Insights. Okay, well, I'll tell you what I've tried to do in, in writing Jasher Insights is to try and make it easier for people to get interested in reading this book. Because in my opinion, often older books or ancient books, traditional books, they make them too dry and boring. They do. And that's why we've gone to a lot of trouble to put an amazing cover on this book. The cover on it, from Jash Insights, is taken from the city of Shechem. Now Shechem is a, a city in about the center of Israel and it has a lot of history. And Shechem becomes the capital city of the northern kingdoms. Now there's so much history just in the city of Shechem. Well, the cover of the book is taken from that's where a lot of Israel's history started. Because it was promised unto Abraham that God would remove all the Canaanites from the land. And this started really happening in the time of Abraham's grandson, Jacob, and his sons. This is when it started to happen, whether Jacob wanted or not, because Jacob was quite peaceful most of the time, and he was horrified, as you know, in the book of Joshua, he found that his sons was going around slaughtering people, and he found out that they wiped out the whole town of Shechem. That's right. Because the prince of Shechem had uh, abused their sister. 
and they got so mad about it they went in there and tore up a whole town it was actually about 800 souls of people when they say a town in those days was more like what we'd say a big village here that's right but even so they managed to wipe out a whole town just two of them simeon and levi gosh now there's another aspect i like to mention here about writing this books i've heard comments from people who sometimes they, they're critical of God himself and critical of Israel by saying, well, God in the Old Testament was so severe and cruel on people and, and this sort of talk, you know. But the truth is, when you really study the Scriptures, both the Bible and the Old Testament, also the Septuagint version of the Old Testament, which is also very useful, I might mention. Everybody should read the Septuagint. It's giving a lot of details that you don't find in the Bible. That's right. Also the book of Joshua. Also the book of Jubilees and the book of Enoch, and like the other one I've done, Second Esdras is also essential. These books will give you a background information on the scriptures you've never seen before. And it'll give you a depth to the scriptures and it'll give you more faith in the Bible itself. Uh, I believe that God originally intended people to have all these books at their fingertips, but somebody or somebody's decided to get in the way. And as I mentioned with one of my interviews with you, I think on Enoch Insights, Somebody has deliberately tried to take these books away from people and away from those who love Scripture and love to get fed by God's Word. Why? Because these books are more radical than even the Bible. They are radical in the sense that they show you how to be a warrior in spirit. Wow. I, I see the, the book of Joshua was deliberately written to show us how it was from creation until the time of Joshua and that before the time of Christ, or the Messiah, they had to fight in the physical. Everything they fought, they had to fight in the physical realm. That's right. While as after the time of Christ, we have to fight much more in the spirit realm, not the physical. Yes. This is brought out by reading these books. You read these books and then you begin to realize, wait a minute, they didn't have any choice back then. If you didn't fight for your wife or your children, you might get slaughtered by some neighbors down the road or another tribe over here because life was violent back then. It was. And they didn't have Christian values. They didn't have turn the other cheek and, and be um, loving and compassionate. They did not have the same laws. So it's not the case that Israel was a barbaric tribe coming down from the mountains and slaughtering everything in sight. It's not like that at all. When you study these ancient Jewish books, you'll be amazed because you'll find that's not how it was at all. They did have a, a serious code of ethics handed down to them from not just Abraham and later Moses, but handed down from Noah and from Shem and from Enoch before that. And that's why I'd say it's essential to know these ancient books that people used to know, but they've been taken away from the public over a hundred years ago. Like I mentioned, the last interview, or the second last interview I had to do with the Enoch Insights, the book of Enoch was banned for a thousand years by the Catholic Church, and possessing it, you could be burned at the stake until something like 18-something, believe it or not, 1790, something like that. Gosh. Why would anybody go to that extreme to ban such a good book as the book of Enoch? Right. I don't know the exact details on the book of Josh, I should do, but maybe somebody can inform me. But I know, although it is in the Jewish canon, there were many times when it was sidelined, even though it was in the Jewish canon. And it's the same with the next one I have, Jubilee's Insights, the same thing. They tried to sideline that one. Uh, Jubilee's Insight was given to Moses on the mountains by the angels of God. Jasher is more 
to describe it is more like a, a book of history that people faithfully wrote down as part of Jewish history. Well, I can't just say Jewish history because it started long before the Jews. It's history going back to Adam, which means that somebody had to faithfully write down their part. Like, for example, before the flood, you've got the amazing story about Enoch that's not written anywhere else. Right. In the Bible, it only mentions a couple of verses about Enoch, next to nothing. The book of Enoch, of course, talks a lot, but it doesn't actually talk about him himself. It took others to do that. And in Joshua, it gives several chapters just talking about Enoch himself and his life. Yes. I want to mention, just so people understand, is that Enoch was not an old man when he died. People think that. He wasn't just because he died at 365 years. Of course, that's more than ancient to us today. Nobody lives that age. But that was young in his time. People used to live to be 900, 950 years old in those days. So Enoch died at the equivalent of what we today would be like 30 to 35 years old. Right. So he wasn't an old man when he died. That's right. It says that uh, Enoch reigned and established righteousness upon the earth for 243 years before he was translated. So Enoch reigned over the earth for 243 years. I mean, that's a long time, Stephen. Gosh, the world was very, very different back then. History moved a lot more slowly. Inspiring you to draw closer to God. You're listening to Nightlight. I take my hat off to all the people, all the scribes, all the prophets, all the people who were involved, because there's a lot of people involved to make the book of Joshua. It didn't just happen. I think it was like a, it, it's, it's like the guy described here above. You know, he says, the book of Joshua, the book of Joshua rendered in the Septuagint as the book of the upright one by the Vulgate Bible, the book of the just ones. And look at this was probably a kind of national sacred songbook, a collection of songs in praise of the heroes of Israel, a book of golden deeds, a national anthology. We have only two specimens from the book. One, the book of Joshua in the Bible, which he spake to the Lord in the crisis of the battle of Beth Horon. That is um, Joshua 10, 12, where Joshua asked God to stop the sun so he could win a battle in that crisis. That's when it mentions the book of Joshua. And then the other example is the Song of the Bow, that beautiful and touching mournful song which David composed on the occasion of the death of Saul and Jonathan, 2 Samuel 1.18-27. Those two examples are the examples where it mentions the book of Jasher. Now in my book, I go into great detail to mention why those two references in the Bible are so important, both Joshua 10.12 and 2 Samuel 1.18-27. Why is it that they used those particular examples to say, is it not written in the book of Joshua? They could have used other ones. There's a reason why they used those two verses. And I cover that in, in my book as to why. Yes, every time I read those two places in the Old Testament where it says, is it not written in the book of Joshua? I was wondering what else was written in the book of Joshua that's not recorded in the Bible. And now, finally, after all these years, I'm finding out and it's absolutely fascinating, edifying, and also highly motivational to try to serve the Lord with the same dedication and energy that these patriarchs had. Nightlight. You're listening to an international edition of Nightlight, 
shining God's love light to the world. And yes, you're listening to an international edition of the Nightlight Podcast. We're talking with author Stephen Strutt about the ancient and very amazing book of Jasher. Stephen, the book of Jasher is a long book, which I found out when I recorded it. It has 91 chapters, with some of the chapters having over 100 verses. Maybe we could zero in on one of the stories to give our listeners a taste of the book of Jasher. How about the one that you were saying your wife commented would be a good one for Christmas because there's a lot in it about angels. Okay, well, as you all know, every year we sing angels from the realms of glory and we end up seeing ye who sang creation's story, now proclaim Messiah's birth. And we're all filled with wonder with the story of angels singing and praising the Lord. And it's wonderful. And there are countless stories of angels in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Right. But... My wife brought to my attention an amazing story of angels. I in no wise want to denigrate the Bible. I love the Bible. It's just the Bible sometimes gets the story more accurate, and sometimes the Apocrypha books, they fill in the details, and ancient Jewish books fill in even more details. That's right. I like the collage of reading all of them, the Bible, Apocrypha books, the Jewish book, all of them, to get a bigger picture. Most of you know this story that Jacob spent 20 years with his deceitful uncle Laban from when he was young uh, and then he suddenly left because he saw that Laban was no longer had a good countenance or wasn't favorable towards him anymore. He left in a hurry and took his wives with him and he had four wives, two wives and two concubines and then Laban chased after him finding out they had gone intending evil against him but then God spoke to Laban and told him according to the Bible and Joshua God spoke to him don't say anything good or bad to to Jacob but in spite of all that according to the book of Joshua here's where it differs from the Bible it gives more interesting details here on this particular issue and I'll say this sometimes the Bible gives more interesting details sometimes the apocryphal books give other details so you combine them together you get a, a wonderful picture but here's the difference. Laban, he approaches Jacob and they pile up all these stones and make an agreement that because God has told Laban not to harm Jacob in spite of what he thinks and they make this pile of stones and Laban's not supposed to pass over the stones anymore or go to fight against Jacob or vice versa. He makes that agreement. The Bible shows the same thing too. But in the book of Joshua, it shows something interesting. It says that but Laban was bitter about it. He didn't like it. He didn't like being forced to not what he wanted to do himself. I always take revenge against his nephew Jacob. So what does he do? He sends a message to Esau, Jacob's twin brother, and tells him a lie. And tells him, oh, that awful Jacob twin brother of yours, he spent 20 years with me. He stole all my cattle, stole everything, and stole my daughters. Told him a complete fabricated story. And that's why Esau ends up getting boiling mad and he chooses 400 men to ride against Jacob and he's, he intends to go and slaughter Jacob. He thinks, well, a lot of people know Jacob, the original word means deceiver. Right. And it is true, initially Jacob did do some very questionable things when he was young and that. But there are things brought out in the book of Jasher that explain it's not as one-sided as, as sometimes made out. Okay, Jacob was a deceiver, but he changed. And in the same chapter, is also the amazing story, as in the Bible, when Jacob was met by an angel 
first he didn't know it was an angel and he had to wrestle with this angel all night and then he got crippled by fighting with this angel then he realized he was fighting with God himself and he it pulled a joint of his thigh out of joint and he was crippled slightly crippled for the rest of his life and therefore there's a special tradition about how they eat meat in Israel because of what happened to Jacob and then angel said to him or even God himself said I'm changing your name now from Jacob the deceiver from now on you're going to be called Israel which means Prince of Man no Prince of God and of Man uh, amazing amazing story there both in the Bible and just shows that bit also angelic intervention but the bit I want to get to you now that's very interesting after Laban had given this very bad report to Esau Jacob's twin brother Esau comes against him with vicious intent is full of resentment he remembers all the jipping that Jacob had done against him when they were young in uh, stealing his birthright and him also uh, cheating him out of his father's blessing I mean of course that is very bad what Jacob did but there are reasons for that that are not necessarily brought out properly in the Bible in the Bible it brings it out it may also almost makes Rebecca and Jacob look like right crooks and deceptive but that's not the whole picture right what happens next Jacob is told a report by his men well we went to meet Esau tried to make peace but I tell you he's coming against you he's gonna cut your head off mate he's, he's determined to slaughter you and your wives and your children so Jacob is absolutely desperate distraught and he cries out to God and he prays very desperately and he and then suddenly angels show up and you get this four these four angels show up going to the book of Joshua and then they they ride off on horses very heavily armed but they appear unto Esau and his men as 2,000 armed men wow. with superior weapons they literally uh, they knock Esau off his horse they come there just them their presence knocks him off his horse and and they said look if it wasn't for your brother Jacob there wouldn't be a man left of you not one of you would survive and who can fight against us I mean whoa I mean it was such a big show and if that wasn't enough with the angels putting on a show that this really shows something interesting it shows the angels can take on whatever form they want here they were able to take on the form of 2,000 appears 2,000 people Wow you'll see also this same thing in the book of Jubilees where they can change form and appear as something it even shows Satan as master much taking on the form of different things in the book of Jubilees another great Jewish book Hebrew book you might call it They're fantastic details but back to the store of the angels if that wasn't enough for Esau knocking him off his horse and telling him off and the funny thing is it's really funny how the wicked behave Esau he just acts all hurt and as if he's innocent and he says well I was just going on my way to see my brother Jacob and, and why are you upsetting my visit to him right when that wasn't his intent at all he was going to murder his brother so they told him you, you better watch you or we're going to slaughter you so anyway they rode off again and it said it hadn't been Esau kept going towards his brother and he hadn't traveled more than a league further some miles and then he was met again by another 2,000 uh, riders which was the same angels masquerading as 2,000 warriors on horses how they do this and how they cause people to see things different than they are is, is amazing but it shows the angels of God are capable of taking on any form any shape uh, which is important to know
in other aspects, if you want to study the book Enoch and how the world began, well, you need to know about these things. Angels are shapeshifters, whether good or bad. Shapeshifters, wow. And this thing of these angels showing up to Esau happened four times, and it was only on the fourth time that Esau was finally scared stiff, dead in his tracks, and he said, I'm not fighting my brother, because he thought all these, these warriors belonged to Jacob. And it was then that when he approached close to, to Jacob, that then they came close to each other. This was the time where the Bible shows that Jacob sent him gifts and cattle, which Esau didn't want to take at first, but eventually they came together, they embraced each other, and it seemed the um, end of all the problems. That's what it seemed like. But the thing is what I love about these Jewish books, Joshua and, and, and Jubilees, is how they bring out the motives of what people were doing. Like in Laban's case earlier on, they showed he was a real crook and he didn't, he didn't mean what he said. He even says, I think in Jubilee's insights, it says about him as well, because he didn't keep the covenant with Jacob to not pass over those rocks I mentioned, which was a pact, God slew Laban. Laban was died a short time later because he couldn't keep his word. He was just a liar, cutthroat. That's right. And the same with Esau. In the Bible, it doesn't bring out how Esau died. But if you read the books of Joshua and Jubilees, you will see that he died before his time because he had hatred in his heart against his brother and he couldn't get over that hatred. He couldn't really forgive unless God forced him into a corner by sending angels. It reminds me of other characters in the Bible like Herod in the New Testament and others who it took some really strong supernatural intervention to stop certain things from happening. Yes. And as in the case of the angel with Jesus, our Lord and Savior, warning Joseph to get out and go to Egypt because of Herod. We must be thankful for God's angels because they do so many things. I won't get into now, but my wife and I have had several occasions where we have met the Lord's angels. And I've, I've written about it and I will write more about it because we have had personal amazing encounters with some of God's angels over the 45 years that we've been missionaries and worked for the Lord. Wow. We've seen them in different guises. But we know they're there. Most of the time I don't actually see God's angels. I sense them. But I have, upon occasions, seen them personally. And so has my wife. And so so some of my children. Praise God. So that's basically what I wanted to mention about angels. And um, you can actually go on my website. I have a place there called My Encounters with Angels. And you'll find a very interesting one. Because the first article I put on angels is unusual. It's not what you're used to hearing. We have a guest tonight on Nightlight. And our guest is author Stephen Strutt. And you'll find the links to his website and the Jasher Insights book below, as well as to my audiobook reading of the book of Jasher. Stephen, anything else you'd like to share? Yeah, just to let people know that they can go on my website, which is now uh, fairly well organized concerning my latest books. And you're welcome to write to me, say what you think, make comments. Anything you say, I'll probably end up putting it somewhere on my website if you allow um, because I like open discussion. I like people to say what they think of things and we add to it. We learn more all the time by talking with the public and others who are very interested in these books. So thanks so much for your time. Thanks so much, Stephen. Looking forward to the next time. My pleasure.
Well, I'm going to close the show by giving you a taste of the book of Jasher by playing you the first chapter from my audiobook reading. And then if you want to hear more, you can find the full audiobook with read-along text on this very channel. I'm reading from the 1840 translation from the original Hebrew that was published by J.H. Parry and Company in 1887. Enjoy. Switch off and switch on to Nightlight. Chapter 1 And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And God created man in his own image. And God formed man from the ground, and he blew into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul endowed with speech. And the Lord said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make unto him a helpmeet. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took away one of his ribs, and he built flesh upon it, and formed it, and brought it to Adam. And Adam awoke from his sleep. Behold, a woman was standing before him. And he said, This is a bone of my bones, and it shall be called woman, for this has been taken from man. And Adam called her name Eve, for she was the mother of all living. And God blessed them, and called their names Adam and Eve in the day that he created them. And the Lord God said, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth. And the Lord God took Adam and his wife, and he placed them in the garden of Eden, to dress it, and to keep it. And he commanded them, and said unto them, From every tree of the garden you may eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat thereof you shall surely die. And when God had blessed and commanded them, he went from them. And Adam and his wife dwelt in the garden according to the command which the Lord had commanded them. And the serpent which God had created with them in the earth came to them to incite them to transgress the command of God which he had commanded them. And the serpent enticed and persuaded the woman to eat from the tree of knowledge. And the woman hearkened to the voice of the serpent, and she transgressed the word of God, and took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and she ate. And she took from it, and gave also to her husband, and he ate. And Adam and his wife transgressed the command of God which he commanded them, and God knew it. And his anger was kindled against them, and he cursed them. And the Lord God drove them that day from the garden of Eden to till the ground from which they were taken. And they went and dwelt at the east of the garden of Eden. And Adam knew his wife Eve, and she bore two sons and three daughters. And she called the name of the firstborn Cain, saying, I have obtained a man from the Lord. And the name of the other she called Abel. For she said, In vanity we came into the earth, and in vanity we shall be taken from it. And the boys grew up, and their father gave them a possession in the land. 
and Cain was a tiller of the ground, and Abel a keeper of sheep. And it was at the expiration of a few years that they brought an approximating offering to the Lord, and Cain brought from the fruit of the ground, and Abel brought from the firstlings of his flock from the fat thereof. And God turned and inclined to Abel and his offering, and a fire came down from the Lord from heaven and consumed it. And unto Cain and his offering the Lord did not turn, and he did not incline to it, for he had brought from the inferior fruit of the ground before the Lord. And Cain was jealous against his brother Abel on account of this, and he sought a pretext to slay him. And in some time after, Cain and Abel his brother went one day into the field to do their work, and they were both in the field, Cain tilling and ploughing his ground, and Abel feeding his flock. And the flock passed that part which Cain had ploughed in the ground, and it sorely grieved Cain on this account. And Cain approached his brother Abel in anger, and he said unto him, What is there between me and thee? that thou comest to dwell and bring thy flock to feed in my land? And Abel answered his brother Cain and said unto him, What is there between me and thee, that thou shalt eat the flesh of my flock and clothe thyself with their wool? And now therefore put off the wool of my sheep with which thou hast clothed thyself and recompense me for their fruit and flesh which thou hast eaten. And when thou shalt have done this, I will then go from thy land as thou hast said. And Cain said to his brother Abel, Surely if I slay thee this day, who will require thy blood from me? And Abel answered Cain, saying, Surely God who has made us in the earth, he will avenge my cause, and he will require my blood from thee, shouldst thou slay me. For the Lord is the judge and arbiter, and it is he who will requite man according to his evil and the wicked man according to the wickedness that he may do upon earth. And now, if thou should slay me here, surely God knoweth thy secret views, and will judge thee for the evil which thou didst declare to do unto me this day. And when Cain heard the words which Abel his brother had spoken, behold, the anger of Cain was kindled against his brother Abel for declaring this thing. And Cain hastened and rose up, and took the iron part of his ploughing instrument, with which he suddenly smote his brother, and he slew him. And Cain spilt the blood of his brother Abel upon the earth, and the blood of Abel streamed upon the earth before the flock. And after this Cain repented having slain his brother, and he was sadly grieved, and he wept over him, and it vexed him exceedingly. And Cain rose up and dug a hole in the field wherein he put his brother's body, and he turned the dust over it. And the Lord knew what Cain had done to his brother. And the Lord appeared to Cain and said unto him, Where is Abel thy brother that was with thee? And Cain dissembled and said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said unto him, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground where thou hast slain him. For thou hast slain thy brother, and hast assembled before me 
and didst imagine in thy heart that I saw thee not, nor knew all thy actions. But thou didst this thing, and didst slay thy brother for naught, and because he spoke rightly to thee. And now, therefore, cursed be thou from the ground which opened its mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand, and wherein thou didst bury him. And it shall be, when thou shalt till it, it shall no more give thee its strength as in the beginning, for thorns and thistles shall the ground produce, and thou shalt be moving and wandering in the earth until the day of thy death. And at that time Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, from the place where he was, and he went moving and wandering in the land toward the east of Eden, he and all belonging to him. And Cain knew his wife in those days, and she conceived and bare a son, and he called his name Enoch, saying, In that time the Lord began to give him rest and quiet in the earth. And at that time Cain also began to build a city, and he built the city, and he called the name of the city Enoch, according to the name of his son. For in those days the Lord had given him rest upon the earth, and he did not move about and wander as in the beginning. And Irad was born to Enoch, and Irad begat Mekuiel, and Mekuiel begat Methusael. Mm-hmm.